Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, climate change, the global economy, and war in Eastern Europe all come to a head as President Biden prepares for an overseas summit with NATO allies. Record-breaking heat is driving Americans to seek cooler temperatures. Even President Biden hit the beach over the weekend to recharge before he left for Europe. Climate change is just one of the challenges facing the world. We spoke exclusively with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen from Beijing about her efforts to lower tension between the world's two largest economies, even as trade disputes ramp up. The war in Ukraine reached the 500-day mark as President Biden made what he called a difficult decision to send controversial cluster bombs to help defeat the Russians. Delaware Democrat Senator Chris Coons and Ukrainian Ambassador to the U.S. Oksana Markarova will join us. Plus, we'll take a look at a new push by the nation's governors to help children's mental health with Utah's Republican Governor Spencer Cox. Finally, after a brutal week of blistering temperatures, can it get any hotter? The answer is yes. NASA's chief scientist, Kate Calvin, will be here to explain why. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We're going to take a closer look at the brutal heat that has settled in across the country during a later point in this broadcast. But this spoiler alert, the extreme weather is expected to intensify. Another issue that's heating up, trade disputes between the U.S. and China. Janet Yellen is the second cabinet secretary to make a goodwill mission to Beijing in the last few weeks. We spoke with her exclusively before she departed China. At the top of your meeting with the Chinese vice premier, he actually acknowledged one of those awkward moments. He, he mentioned the Chinese spy balloon. He called it an airship. Can you say at this point that tension has been smoothed over? Well, what I can tell you is that um, I had um, a very constructive visit. I received a warm welcome and had very substantive series of meetings we had substantive conversations about the global economy, developments in our own economies, financial markets, and a list of concerns that each of us brought to the table that um, we agreed to follow up on over time. Uh, understood. Uh, the U.S. ambassador to China, Nick Burns, told me just last month that four or five different American companies had been experiencing intimidation at the hand of Chinese authorities, and he pointed towards an espionage law that had recently been rolled out. Did you get assurances that American firms won't be intimidated? Well, that certainly is one of the concerns that I expressed. Um, I had the chance to meet with American businesses and to hear about their concerns but uh, and certainly in my meetings, that is a concern that I raised. It's something that we will have further conversations about 
and try to address over time. The administration has taken some targeted national security focused uh, measures that do impact trade and the economy, um, including some restrictions on high-end technology sales. Uh, the administration is reportedly also considering restrictions on computer chips related to artificial technology and cloud computing. Do you have a sense of what the retaliation will be from China when the U.S. does this? Well, um, an objective of my trip was to explain that national security is something that we can't compromise about and we will protect. And we will do so even if it harms our own narrow economic interests. But that when we take such actions, which do have an effect on the Chinese economy, um, that we will make sure that they are transparent narrowly targeted and well explained. And um, this is a point that I tried to make in my conversations with Chinese counterparts. I would point out that the Chinese also uh, protect their own national security through export controls and other similar devices, including controls on outbound investment. Um, I explained that um, President Biden is um, examining potential controls on outbound investment in certain very um, narrow high technology areas, and that if we go forward with these, that um, they will be indeed very narrowly targeted and um, not, should, should not be something that will have a significant impact on the investment climate between our two countries. You're talking there, I think, about the uh, long-delayed executive order that would put some restrictions on what American companies can do when it comes to investing in China. Um, is that still in question? Right. Did you hear anything in your meetings that would make you tweak it, change it, pull back from it? Well, mainly I try to explain what it is that we're contemplating. It's still something being discussed in the administration and the timing of it is not is not yet certain. Does that mean there's a chance that the Biden administration will drop it, that they won't issue this executive order? Well, no final decision has been made, but um, as I've said previously, this is something we're looking at very carefully. You, you did mention there an action China just took in regard to export controls, meaning they they have this stranglehold on a lot of critical minerals, and they just blocked the export of two of them that are really essential for uh, computer chips. How should people understand yes. this? Is, is this a warning shot? Is this Beijing saying, look at what we can do, and if you take further restrictions, we'll ramp it up from here? Well, I, I certainly express concern about this action. And... Um, contrasted with the actions that we've taken. Um, our own actions are narrowly targeted to address national security concerns. And um, I, it's not clear that the actions that the Chinese took um, are similarly narrowly targeted at their national security concerns. So this is an area that I expressed concern about. Do you mean, are you suggesting there that it was just a retaliatory action? Well, poten potentially. Are, do, are you concerned that this is the beginning of an escalation? Well, my purpose is to make sure that we don't engage in a series of um, unintended escalatory actions um, that will be harmful to our overall economic relationship um, with one another. And... We have had very little contact, both senior officials and also just the American people and the Chinese people have had very little contact with one another over the last several years, in part because of COVID. And that's a situation where misunderstandings can develop. We have a new team uh, on the economic side in Beijing that it's important to establish person-to-person -person relationships and to open ongoing channels of communication 
where concerns can be aired and discussed. And I do think my trip has been successful in forging those relationships and um, creating the opportunity for a deeper set of more frequent contacts uh, at our staff levels. I was just in China. I know how much concern there is there about the slowing of the economy. Um, Are you concerned that the slowdown in China will have a negative impact and drag U.S. growth? Well, that is a topic that I discussed with my Chinese counterparts. We talked about the policy actions that they think um, see as appropriate to stimulate their economy and promote what they describe as high-quality growth. And um, I was able to better understand uh, the actions that they do think are appropriate. How significant are the problems in the Chinese economy? You know, I, I think that they've opened up their economy following um, its closure from COVID and um, are working through a series of issues relating to issues in the property sector in real estate. Um, and consumer spending there has rebounded a little bit less. Consumers are showing more caution and saving, saving more than many uh, commentators expected, many economic forecasters expected. But um, my counterparts talked about their perspective on this and the actions that they're taking. Before I let you go, I do want to ask you about the economy here at home. Um, what signal should Americans at home be looking for to understand that economic growth will be back at a point like it was before the pandemic? It's my hope that and belief that there is a path to bring inflation down in the context of a healthy labor market. And the data that I've seen suggests we're on that path. The jobs number did suggest a little bit of a slowdown there. Is the risk of recession completely off the table from your point of view? I mean, where do you put the odds? It's not completely off the table, but um, we would expect uh, with the job market as strong as it is now to see a slower pace of ongoing uh, job gains. Um, Prime age labor force participation is at the highest level in several decades. So we've seen this strong job market attract uh, workers back to it. Um, But uh, as that stabilizes at a high level, we should expect the monthly job gains to be coming down toward a more normal level. And you can see our full conversation with Secretary Yellen on our website or our YouTube channel. We turn now to Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons. Good morning. Good to have you here. Good morning. Great to be on set with you, Margaret. A lot to talk about, but I want to start with China. Uh, America's reliant on its greatest adversary for key things, for missiles, for computer chips, electric vehicles. Do we need a domestic industrial policy, and why don't we have one? We do have one, Margaret. That's what the Chips and Science Bill that President Biden signed into law last year that the Congress moved forward on a bipartisan basis has delivered. Tens of billions of dollars of new investments in onshoring semiconductor chip manufacturing, a record number of new advanced manufacturing sites in the United States. There is more work for us to do on this in this Congress, and Senator Schumer and Republicans in the Senate are leading work on that. So we have turned a corner on having an industrial policy in the United States that brings back manufacturing. That's the core of Bidenomics, of rebuilding our economy from the middle out. But what we were just talking about, the Treasury Secretary, is August 1st, China's going to stop the export of key minerals. So to make those chips, you need what China has. That's right. So where do you get that from? So China is in a commanding position on the processing of strategic critical minerals. The administration has a plan, has a pro- has a program underway with a dozen countries around the world that are our allies and partners who have untapped resources. I was just on a bipartisan trip to Europe. We visited Norway, which has critical minerals in abundance, several of them that we need, that China currently has. There is a plan and a path forward. And as long as we sustain our bipartisan support for it, I think there is a clear path to transition away from what is currently a dangerous dependency on China for these strategic minerals. I want to ask you about Europe. 
President Biden is leaving today on this trip that will involve a stop at NATO. I know that you have signed on to efforts um, to help Sweden get into NATO, but Turkey's standing in the way. You've said you're fine with withholding F-16s, those kind of military uh, equipment provisions to Turkey until they back down. Are they going to? We'll have to see. President Biden is directly, personally engaged in this diplomacy. Um, The Greeks need and deserve um, security reassurances um, that the lessening of tensions with Turkey will continue. Um, We are continuing to provide uh, cutting-edge equipment like the F-35 to our critical NATO partner, Greece. As long as Greece is reassured, Sweden has taken the steps they should to address Turkey's legitimate concerns. I remain hopeful that there will be a resolution of this before the Vilnius summit. We have 31 members of NATO today. There should be 32. Adding Finland and Sweden to NATO is a strategic defeat for Putin. It means that no matter the outcome on the ground in Ukraine, he has failed in his objective to divide and weaken NATO. Because of President Biden's leadership, NATO is the strongest it's ever been. You have another applicant, Ukraine. (laughs) As you know, Uh, the president gave an interview in which he said he doesn't think Ukraine is ready to join NATO. Uh, Have you talked to him about it? And what specifically is it that he needs to see for them to be allowed in? They've been waiting since 2008. Well, first, we can't admit Ukraine to NATO right now. There's a war going on that has to be resolved, that has to end with Ukrainian victory. I was just on a bipartisan trip, as I mentioned, um, with Senator Murray, chair of appropriations, to meet with EU leaders and NATO leaders. It's important to keep in mind that what the Ukrainians are fighting for is full membership in Europe, and they are on track to join the EU. Joining the EU also means improving their transparency, their rule of law, their civil society, which lays the foundation for NATO membership in the future. Well, President Zelensky has said he knows it's in the future. It's not drawing the United States into a war, in other words, if he were to get in this week, which the White House said he won't. But um, the president also said something about an Israel-style assurance of defense for Ukraine. That sounds very open-ended. We give billions of dollars to Israel. What does that mean for Ukraine? Well, there has to be a security guarantee for Ukraine going forward. A guarantee? For them to be conceivably admissible to NATO, um, their equipment, their training, their their military has to be up to NATO standards. And we are moving them in that direction. But I'll remind you, back in 1994 in Budapest, the U.S., U.K., and Russia persuaded Ukraine to give up their nuclear weapons in exchange for a commitment to a territorial security guarantee. Some sort of security guarantee for Ukraine has to be on the far side of this war where so many Ukrainians are fighting and dying bravely to push back out the Russian aggressors who are occupying 20 percent of Ukraine today. But you don't expect any firm assurances out of this week's summit? No timeline, no specifics? That's a decision for 31 NATO members to make. Um, My hunch is they'll make real progress on Sweden accession. Mm -hmm. They'll make real progress on sustaining our critical support in the middle of this counteroffensive. But I don't think they'll leave Vilnius with a specific timeline. Um, President Biden said that Ukraine's military is running out of ammunition, and that was a factor in his decision to greenlight providing cluster munitions. Do you think that morally justified his decision to do this? I do. This was a very hard decision. The president really, he listened to all sides. Did you Um, speak to him about it? I did not speak directly to him about this decision. I weighed in indirectly through folks in his core team, but bluntly, He looked at several different core factors. First, we are running out of 155 artillery munitions, Mm -hmm. and they are burning through them at a remarkable rate, six to 8,000 a day. That's a million a year. We have a plan to bring back online the manufacturing of 155 shells at scale, but that won't happen for months. They are at risk of losing this counteroffensive if they run out of their shells. We have a large stockpile of 155 shells that are cluster munitions. Mm -hmm. It's the Ukrainians who are asking to be able to use these on their own soil. They've committed to monitoring their use, to remediating them after the war. And frankly, they will be tactically helpful against dug-in Russian troops that are behind large minefields. So weighing all of those factors, the president made a tough call that I will support. You will support. Um, I want to ask you as well about Iran. Uh, The president's envoy to Iran. His name is Rob Malley. Um, And he told CBS that he is on leave right now pending a review of his security clearance. Mm -hmm. He's so central to the nuclear talks and also the point of contact for the hostage families. 
Um, have you been briefed on what's happening? I have not. Uh, on, on his a, security situation, I have not. Because on, in your key role on Senate Foreign Relations, I would yes. imagine there is some oversight. There is some reporting that the FBI is now involved. Are, are you concerned? How should people understand this? Look, I can't share anything about the FBI and what they are or are not doing with regards to the special envoy. Um, but there is a lot of concern and interest in Congress on that committee and others about the status of any potential negotiation with Iran. The Iranians are providing the Russians critical drones and munitions for their aggression in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I think that puts even greater tension on any possible conversations between the United States, our regional allies, and Iran. And I do think we need a briefing to update the members of Congress. On on this matter, as well as the talks. Um, Do you think that the president should meet with the families of those hostages in Iran? They have been asking for some time. Um, Look, you know, I'm an advocate for the hostages, uh, broadly speaking. Jason Rezaian, who was held in an Iranian prison for more than 500 Mm -hmm. days, came home and received an IRS bill in the mail as a result for unpaid taxes. I just introduced a bipartisan bill um, to get rid of those uh, undue, unexpected, unreasonable um, harms. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, I think the president should meet with hostage families. He has a lot on his plate. He has been a strong advocate for recovering Americans from overseas. As you know, um, his administration led the return of Brittany Griner. I am hoping um, that there will also be some movement uh, in the case of a Wall Street Journal reporter who is mm-hmm. unjustly imprisoned in Russia as well. Evan Gerskovich. Evan Gerskovich. Do you have reason to believe that that is moving forward? I have reason to believe the administration is working tirelessly on trying to return all Americans who are unjustly detained. Senator, thank you for your time this morning. Face the Nation will be back in a minute, so stay with us. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now to the latest in Ukraine. Senior foreign correspondent Charlie Daggett is in Kharkiv with more. This morning, a tribute by President Volodymyr Zelensky and Polish President Andrzej Duda in western Ukraine. Marking the World War II massacre of tens of thousands of Poles at the hands of Ukrainian nationalists, now united in memory of the victims. Zelensky marked day 500 of the invasion yesterday in a visit to Turkey to bring back home the commanders of Ukraine's Azov Brigade. Having surrendered to the Russians after the siege of Mariupol, under a deal they were to remain in Turkey until the end of the war. Instead, a hero's welcome ceremony in Lviv and a vow to go right back to the fight. The specter of a major nuclear disaster has reemerged at the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant, both sides accusing each other of plotting to attack it. Ukraine says Russia is exploiting the threat as a deterrent to the counteroffensive, which has become a relentless grind against an entrenched enemy. Commander Stanislav tells us it's been tough. The enemy doesn't sleep. In the year or so that they invaded us, he says, they have learned how to fight. 
It's one reason Ukraine requested the controversial cluster munitions to help break through Russian defenses. But Ukrainians know firsthand the devastating effect they have on the civilian population. The prosecutor's office in Kharkiv has collected a mountain of Russian missiles and rockets allegedly used against civilian targets here. And we're told this is one of many Russian cluster bombs found here in the Kharkiv area. As it descends, it opens up, ejecting smaller bombs expanding across a wide area. They're the same kind of weapons suspected in yesterday's shelling in the eastern city of Lehman. At least eight civilians killed, many more wounded. Those cluster munitions will likely come up among NATO partners in Lithuania this week. As for Ukraine, they're obviously hoping for continued support and ultimately a path toward NATO membership. Margaret? Charlie Daggett, thank you. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We turn now to the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Markarova. Great to have you back with us. Good morning. Your president and our president said that Ukraine's running out of ammunition. So how quickly will this latest U.S. package arrive and how quickly will it make a difference? Well, first of all, let me say how grateful we are to President Biden and to everyone for making this decision to provide us with this munition. I know everyone is discussing how difficult it was and sometimes even call it controversial, but there is nothing controversial about it. We are fighting on our territory, brutal enemy. There is nothing worse than... Uh, tortures, rapes, and everything that Russians do on the territories they occupy, and we need to liberate as quick as possible. So we are really grateful that in times when we do need increased numbers of munitions to support our counteroffensive, that U.S. made the decision, and we really hope we will see it very quickly on the battlefield. So these cluster munitions drop bomblets, um, and sometimes those bomblets don't explode right away. And years later, they can be a danger. I've met victims who've been blinded and maimed in places where the U.S. dropped these decades ago. So when the White House says that Ukraine has made assurances on how it will use these, how do you do this and assure that civilians won't be hurt? Well, first of all, let's remind where we start with. Ukraine is the most mined country now already. Russians mined uh, everywhere. The unexploded ordinance is everywhere. So we're doing a lot of demining. And U.S., by the way, is helping us a lot in demining already now. With regard to these munitions that we will be getting from the U.S., uh, first, they are of a much higher quality So to start with. And second, as responsible as we are with all other American-supplied or European-supplied munitions. We are controlling it. We we have a very uh, responsible ways. We use the NATO type of log-fast system to record every unit that we have, where it is. Mm-hmm. We will use the same type of approach to this. We will know where we use it, how we used it. And, of course, you know, every time we liberate our territories, this is, D-miners are the first people that go there try to make sure that the the area is safe. So we will do exactly the same. And I imagine Russia uses these on civilian areas. I have to imagine Ukraine has pledged not to do that and only to use them on soldiers. Oh, my God. They use uh, this and phosphor and everything else specifically on civilian areas and destroying civilian areas. We definitely will not do, we will not use it in civilian populated areas. Um, That's the war crime aspect that, that Russia has been criticized for on this. Um, when you heard President Biden say Ukraine's not ready for NATO membership, what did you think? Uh, we are getting ready for NATO membership. Uh, we know and we're doing very difficult reforms, even as we fight for it. What we are definitely ready for is for invitation. And I think, you know, with regard to uh, the NATO membership, if you look at uh, any, any uh, aspect of it, Ukraine is very ready in a number of aspects. And if there is something that is left there, we can sure do it uh, later on. But we are discussing now about the invitation. You know, you know that in 2008, the uh, open door policy towards Ukraine have been adopted. Uh, We want not only the door to be open, we want to be invited to come in. Well, the White House seemed to close the door on that part of the invitation, at least, but eventually allow for Ukraine to join NATO. That was that seemed to be the signal White House was sending on Friday. Well, the discussions are still ongoing and the discussion. And of course, it's the discussion that requires 31 countries to agree. 
Uh, and again, as uh, you know, with like with the European Union uh, membership, there is a path toward the European Union. We are a candidate country and we are working towards our full membership. Similar approach uh, we take with NATO. We want to be in NATO. The majority of Ukrainians support Ukraine in NATO. Uh, this is in our constitution. And we have done the majority of reforms already to be NATO eligible. We are ready to continue on that path. And we would like to see that our friends in NATO uh, are together with us on this path. Uh, this week, the largest nuclear plant in Europe, once again, was very much in focus <clears throat> on the front line of this conflict. Um, your president says... Ukraine has intelligence showing that Russia will try to blow it up, that it has mined the area. The U.N. watchdog says they've only been able to search parts of the area. So far, it looks OK. But there are two key reactors they want access to. What is the level of risk right now? The level of risk there is consistently high since March 4th, 2022, since Russians illegally occupied Ukrainian nuclear station. Mm -hmm. So we just have to be very clear from the start, every time we discuss the Parisian nuclear plant, the largest nuclear plant in, your, in Europe, that the only source of risk there is Russia. Uh, you add to that Russia's absolutely irresponsible withdrawal or uh, suspension of the new START treaty, their decision to deploy uh, the tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, and it's clear that we are dealing with a nuclear terrorist. Now, look at Chernobyl station, which they also grabbed since they invaded us in February 22. As soon as Russians are out of there, there is no risk. Similar here, we all have to work together to get them out. Because again, let me remind you about the Kahovka Dam destruction, which Russians did, knowing how devastating it will be. So the, the intent, and there is no uh, red lines for them there. We just have to stay focused and get them out from the station. As soon as it's in Ukrainian hands fully again, there will be no risks. Does Ukraine support what the UN's calling for, which is, you know, sort of a safe zone around it so that Ukraine isn't shelling in the area and neither is Russia? Look, all Ukraine should be demilitarized from Russian military. So we have to get them out from everywhere in Ukraine, uh, not to allow them uh, create some safe zones for them inside Ukraine. We are very responsible, as you have seen during all this period, towards the nuclear Zaporizhian nuclear station. But the only answer to uh, that problem is no Russians there. It's Ukrainian territory, it's Ukrainian station, and there should not be occupiers, brutal occupiers there. We will be watching what happens this week at NATO. And so good to have you back with us, Ambassador. We'll be right back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We turn now to the Republican governor of Utah, Spencer Cox. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk face to face. I know you're on this coast because of the National Governors Association and meetings there. And the group's putting some special focus on mental health, but broadly protecting kids. When it comes to children, firearms are the leading cause of death among kids. The Salt Lake City Tribune pointed out that at the state level, there's been an impulse to, to ban dangerous things for kids on many levels. You've talked about social media. Uh, you focused on transgender issues. But that doesn't extend to firearms, even at the state level. Why is that? When you look at the gun numbers in the state of Utah, mm -hmm. the, those numbers increasing are not being driven by people getting caught in the crossfire or, you know, kids shooting each other. It's being driven specifically by mental health and suicide issues. Now, we're doing more to, to help keep guns away from kids, keep them locked up. But but 
what, what is it that's, that's driving that desire to say life is not worth living anymore? And, and how do we as a society collectively uh, work to make sure the kids know that it is going to get better and, and uh, there, there is a reason to stay here? That's a huge focus for us as well. Your state is the first, as I understand it, to restrict social media access by minors, although that law doesn't go into effect until March of next year. Correct. Um, you just had this judge this week um, make a, a determination that the Biden administration uh, should be prohibited from discussing with social media companies anything that encourages, pressures, or induces in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content. Is that ruling going to affect what you are trying to do at the state level to protect young kids from harmful content? I don't think so. I, I don't understand. That, that's, that's more of a content restriction. I'm sure we'll have social media companies suing the state of Utah. In fact, we're going to be suing social media companies for, for the harm and damage that they're, they're causing our young people. I, I suspect that at some point the Supreme Court will weigh in on this decision when it comes to restricting youth access. There's not just a correlation between social media use and an increase in, in suicide, anxiety, depression, self-harm. Um, th there is a causal link there. There are 18 different states that have now enacted laws that restrict in some way access to gender transition care for kids. In Utah, you have said that you are just pausing access to that kind of care. You're not banning it. Do you have an end date to that pause? What specifically is the kind of data and research you need to see to say you will allow for it? Yeah, so we, do, we don't have an end date, um, but uh, we... we we do need more data and more information. This is such a charged topic it is. that it's been uh, it's been impossible, I believe, to get good information um, here in the United States right now because half the country doesn't want to touch it, and, and the other half is convinced that they already know the answer. And so I, I've really tried to look elsewhere um, at, at conversations that are happening in other countries, um, specifically in Europe, around around this where it's not quite as charged. Um, looking at, at at Sweden and Finland and and France and, and the UK, uh, other countries where they don't have the same culture war battles that we're having here. And they're also pushing pause. I, I mean, many of those countries are saying, look, we're, uh, this is- a specific part of it? Is on it both. hormone treatment, puberty blockers, surgery? Both, all of, all of, all of the above, yeah. Because the yeah. Uh, American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics have said this kind of care that um, they've rejected the claims that it is yeah. harmful. Yeah, all but very political groups. And again, I, I, I don't I, I believe that they are politicized. Those groups are politicized. The I don't American believe Academy of Pediatrics. I absolutely okay. do. Yes. Yes. On, on this issue, it, it, it's impossible to get unbiased information out of the United States right now on this issue. I, I just don't believe it. So just on the numbers of 73 million children in the U.S., there were just 56 genital surgeries related to dysphoria between 2019 yeah. and 2021, according to the study by Komodo Health and Reuters. Yeah, do you have the numbers on uh, on on hormone therapy and 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 in those puberty years? blockers? What, in what the is the year? number? It, it, they're you. exploding. We we went from like 10. 10 years ago to several hundred this past year. Mm -hmm. I mean, th those numbers, and again, in this Utah? is in is Utah alone. Yeah. And you don't know what's driving. Well, that's, that's what these scientists in other countries are actually trying to figure yeah. out where in, in the United States, we're putting our head in the sand and saying, we're not even going to talk about this or look about this. You can't even have a discussion about it. Right. In other countries, they're saying something is happening. Hundreds in my state, thousands all across the country um, that are making requests for this. Yeah. And they have, they're, they're presenting with several several other mental health issues as well. I mean, the numbers we saw, the trend is definitely up, but um, they're still pretty small in terms of surgeries and mastectomies. But, o but only I, I in terms of surgeries. Data. Yeah. The, the other data, and, and you can look anywhere, yeah. um, this is not unique. Um, it, it, yes, there the aren't a lot of up. surgeries sure. happening, but the trend, it's not just up, it's up exponentially. It's, it's, it's a hockey stick increase. It, it, it's still a small percentage, though. Um, but but I hear your point on wanting more data. Can I ask you specifically about a bill um, that is now law? That it, it, you had an interesting stance on this. You rejected the bill initially. Your legislature overrode your veto. It's now law. Um, and it would bar transgender students from participating in uh, girls' sports. According to the reporting at the time, there were just four transgender players in the entire state out of 85,000 student-athletes. 
at the time you argued for empathy when you vetoed this. You said there are, these are just four kids trying to get through the day. Rarely has so much fear and anger been directed at so few. Why didn't that call for empathy persuade your party? Why did they need to write something to affect four kids? In my veto letter, I, I said, I actually agree with what you're trying to accomplish here. I, I think it is wrong to have a, you know, a, a, a transgender female, um, a person who was, who was born a male, uh, taking scholarships, t- records uh, away from people. The, 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 the pen swimmer is the, the example of that, right? Okay. The example that everybody uses. And, I, and so that, that was my point. I, I, that should not happen. What we were negotiating in the state of Utah was something that would allow some kids to play and others not to, depending on their their physical capability. I do believe that there is a, a lack of compassion and empathy in our politics today. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we have a toxic division. The culture wars are happening. Um, there are culture warriors on all sides that are you know trying to change, trying to get their way, trying to cancel others or or prevent others from from being able to to do what what they want to do. And 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 it's definitely a problem. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that Utah can be an example. Of, of being a little better on that side. There are at least six current or former governors, yeah. Republican governors, running for president right now. Can any of them defeat Donald Trump in a primary? Well, I, I lead will, your party. I hope so. I like governors. Um, I think governors are great. I Even think governors have real experience. Um, the, the great thing about governors is we actually have to get stuff done, mm-hmm. right? We, we can't just do the performance thing. Um, you have to, you know, potholes aren't, aren't partisan. Right. Um, you, you have to, you have to do those kind of things. And I think we have lots of amazing choices. And, um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can, we can turn the page, um, and, uh, and, and, and try something else. Someone who can win, which I think is important, and uh, I think any of any of those governors uh, could could win, and and I certainly hope we'll give them a chance. Governor, thank you. I'm glad to have you here in person, and uh, hope to have you back. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you. We'll be back with a lot more Face the Nation. Stay with us. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset—hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Last week saw four days of record temperatures, and this week is expected to be even hotter. We now want to welcome to the program Kate Calvin, NASA's chief scientist and senior climate advisor. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to be able to ask you some of these questions that I think a lot of people are wondering this week in particular. Um, Why is the weather so extreme? Can you explain that? for non-scientists? Yeah, so climate change is driving increases in temperature overall. We also have natural cycles that affect temperature, and so the one you're hearing the most about in the news is El Nino or La Nina. So El Nino years tend to be warmer than La Nina. Uh, 2022 was a La Nina year. It was actually the the warmest La Nina year we've ever had. Um, It was tied for fifth warmest overall. We're now moving into El Nino. So the combination of climate change and El Nino means we're seeing higher global temperatures, and that brings with it impacts all around the world to people, ecosystems, extreme events, and other um, changes that are that were they're impacting communities. So uh, ocean temperatures are rising, as I understand it, and that 
factors into this. Can you explain how? So oceans absorb a lot of heat, and so we are seeing um, increases in ocean temperature. Um, when we identify El Nino, it's based on ocean temperatures in a particular part of the Pacific. But the thing to keep in mind is, you know, oceans are actually, land is warming faster than oceans. So the places where we live are warming faster than the ocean. So while we are seeing these increases in ocean temperatures, we're also seeing increases in temperature over land. So NASA has been doing these reports where you're, you're crunching some of the data to understand how to plan going forward. Um, I was looking at one of them. It says there's going to be severe turbulence with airlines over large regions of the northern hemisphere. Are we already seeing that? And why would that happen? So we are experiencing impacts of climate change everywhere around the world right now. There's different impacts in different regions. I think what's important to keep in mind is that climate change is more than just temperature. It's also affecting things like the water cycle. So we're seeing more heavy precipitation events, more droughts. We're seeing increases in extreme events like storms. And we can see those and those impact uh, how we travel, uh, human health, agriculture, and all aspects of our lives. But with the planes. How certain are you that this will happen or is it already happening? So there's studies that indicate that you can see increases in turbulence linked to climate change. Um, At NASA, some of what we do around aircraft, we have a large aeronautics research team, but we're looking, we look a lot at how um, transportation affects climate. So not just climate affecting transportation, Mm. but also how it affects it. And so we do a lot of research into making planes more efficient so they use less energy and generate less emissions and contribute less to warming in the future. So there are also transportation issues along the Mississippi River mentioned in the report. Uh, Cargo shipments have been impacted by river levels. So how do industries who have to plan ahead and businesses that have to plan ahead take this into account? How prepared are we? So one of the things that we work on is trying to make sure people have access to the information that can support planning. So for river flow, we actually launched a satellite in December um, called SWAT that's going to give us the first global survey of water running through rivers and lakes. So we'll be able to see how much water is running through those rivers and how that changes over time. And that kind of information can be used to better plan in the future. And so NASA would share that? All of our data is publicly available. And one of the things we're working on now is making it easier to use so that you don't have to process raw satellite data, but instead we give you an indicator that you can interpret and use in your planning. Um, So as an example, we have a tool that's uh, designed for farmers that helps them understand how much water their fields are losing so that they can better plan their irrigation. Um, NASA also put out a report in May that says climate change is contributing to rise in Lyme disease, possibly Um, more mosquito borne illnesses as well. Seasonal allergies are getting worse. I know plenty of people who are complaining about their allergies these past few weeks. My eyes were watering. Um, How concerned do people need to be? So there are a lot of effects of climate change on health. Um, So uh, in terms of mosquitoes and other uh, uh, diseases that are carried by um, insects, what the climate what climate change can do is change where the, the geographic extent of those species. So, you know, mosquitoes need hot conditions. They need water to breed. And so what climate change can, can do is change that extent so that we see um, in places where you have malaria, it could shift more uh, northern latitudes or higher altitudes. But there's other effects of climate change. You mentioned pollen. One of the things that we saw here in the northeast of the U.S. recently was about wildfire smoke. Mm-hmm. So there were wildfires burning in Canada, and the smoke from that came into the U.S. and led to air quality concerns all across the northeastern U.S., and we'll see more of that with climate change. More of these fires. Uh, We'll see more. So what climate change brings is more fire weather, um, so conditions where it's hot, dry, and windy, more fuel for fires, so more dry vegetation that can burn um, and can also lengthen the fire season. So we're seeing all of those changes. What we're trying to do, though, is make sure people can be prepared for it. So see, we can see where fires are burning now. We can see burn scars and burn perimeters. We can look at how emissions from fire move around the world. And that's what's interesting is that this isn't just admiring the problem you're coming up with. Here's something you can use to plan for this scenario. But some of it sounds like a science fiction movie in terms of fear. There's something in here about frozen Arctic soils unleashing ancient microorganisms. Has that happened yet? <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the far north um, of the of the world, the soils store a lot of carbon and, um, and there's methane underground. And so as that thaws, scientists are, uh, expect that you would see some more emissions associated with it. Um, so that as you warm, you couldn't trigger more emissions. Um, and that's what's driving the warming that we're seeing now is greenhouse gas emissions. So things that affect um, those emissions will affect climate. And you're going to continue to make this publicly available? All of our data is publicly available, and we continue to add to it. So we're uh, able to observe more about the planet and help people better prepare for the future. All right. Well, thank you.
Thank you. For breaking it down for us non-scientists. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. We don't usually put in a plug for rival broadcast networks, but we can't resist this one. Tune in tonight to cheer on our own Gail King and her family. Yes, that's them. They're appearing on Celebrity Family Feud tonight at 8 o'clock. And of course, tune in on Monday morning to CBS Mornings, where you normally see Gail tomorrow and every day. That's going to be it for us here today. Thank you for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Delaware's Democratic Senator Chris Coons, Ukrainian Ambassador to the U.S. Oksana Markarova, Utah's Republican Governor Spencer Cox, and Catherine Calvin, NASA's Chief Scientist and Senior Climate Advisor. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.